You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. You ever wonder why the scriptures speak so often of the end times, of the final judgment, when God kind of obviously doesn't seem to want to tell us when that's going to happen? In fact, not only does Jesus not tell us when the end times will happen, it doesn't even seem to be a part of his divine mission to know when the end of times will be. It's a great mystery. So why speak of it so often? Is he just trying to scare us? Uh, or, is, or is he trying to give us hope for eternal life? I think both of those are true. Uh, first, I want to talk about fear, because you know, in the modern era, I think we're fundamentally against the idea of fear of the Lord. Uh, and for good reason, because we know that living our whole life being afraid of hell isn't a good and productive way to live. You know, to be anxious and scrupulous and afraid to act because we might do something that uh, will send us to the eternal fire. That's just not Christian joy, to say the least. Yet, I think the alternative that most of us have chosen today, even if just subconsciously, uh, we've we've decided that we don't have to be afraid of God because he's nice and he's going to figure out a way to get us to heaven no matter what, you know, no matter what our lives look like. And, and neither of those attitudes are good. I think, to be honest, you know, the life of fear might be preferable to a life of just straight-up laxity, except that neither of them are sustainable. They actually both lead to despair, just a different sort of despair uh, for the two of them. So, if, if, then what, what exactly does fear play? What kind of role does that play in the life of a Christian? Now, how is it that God, who is love, could ever want to provoke fear in his disciples. After all, the most common phrase in the whole scriptures is, be not afraid. That's what the Lord says more than anything else through the whole scriptures. So why could God possibly want to bring fear? I think we need to look at what that means. You know, there's different types of fear. And we'll find that certainly there's one kind of fear that the Lord commands against in the scriptures. When he says, be not afraid, That's what he means. But then there's also the gift of fear, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So what, first, for the the fear that God is commanding against. Talk about that. That's best described as worldly fear. And that comes when, when we trust the world as the source of our happiness, or something in the world as the source of our happiness, we are inevitably terrified that we're going to lose that thing. Uh, We put our trust in some worldly good, and just the nature of worldly goods being uh, finite, we're terrified we're going to lose it. For example, if I'm someone who loves honor, who loves my reputation, then I'm terrified that some dark secret that I have is going to come to the surface in a shameful way, or that I'm going to be falsely accused of something that's going to destroy my reputation. And so, inevitably, I kind of live in fear uh, because my reputation is my happiness. 
And say, for whatever reason, something does happen. Some secret comes out or someone falsely accuses me. My reputation is destroyed. Inevitably, I will, I will blame God for that first. But then what, what is God's response? You know, he says, do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul. God's telling us that no matter what our attachments are in this world, they will never make us happy. They will only bring us fear and, and just terror. So the degree to which we put our, our happiness in worldly things, we will never be satisfied to that exact degree. And I think we all do that to a certain extent. It's a short road to despair. So what is the good fear? What's the gift of fear? You know, there's a hierarchy here, but I don't want to go into too much detail. I just want to kind of try to flush out what's useful for us. Uh, the first, and I think the simplest form of uh, fear is fear of God's punishment. I think that's the one we look down upon as kind of medieval and primitive in the Christian faith. But, but although we're not called to live a life of, where we fear God's punishment, it is a necessary step in the Christian life. Uh, it's a necessary initial step, but it's also a necessary step often for us. And why is that? Because repentance is a necessary step in the Christian life. We must at some point realize that we are not living the life that we're called to live. It's tough to recognize that. It's tough to recognize and confront our own sinfulness. But when we do, we're going to realize that we deserve a terrible punishment for what we've done, for the person that we are. Not, not just because of what we've done personally, but because we've hurt a lot of people along the way. And that realization is actually a good thing. That's the fear of the Lord. And that's because it inspires us to repentance. It doesn't bring despair, like fear of losing worldly goods. It brings repentance and desire for God. Now, we're not called to stay in that place. We're called to move forward from there. And what does that mean? It means moving from the attitude of a servant who fears God's punishment to the attitude of a friend who who doesn't fear... God's punishment, but fears losing a friend. So the gift of fear is a friendship. It's, it's a fear of separation from the one that we love. And that's the fear that Jesus desires for us. Not the fear of a slave, but the fear of a friend. I think the best analogy for this is parenting. You know, when you have, when you have small children... It's hard to inspire them with the ideal of friendship. You know, you can't inspire them to do good things because you're their friend, necessarily. You have to, you have to put the fear of God in them. You, you, like, you have to tell them that there's going to be consequences for what they do, or they'll do it. You know, that it's, so they have to know that they're going to be punished, because that's the only thing that keeps them from hurting themselves and from hurting their friends that they're playing with. But then, if you get a 24-year-old kid who's still afraid of his parents, that's a problem. It's like, grow up, you know? And that, that relationship needs to evolve in time. So by the time you're an adult, you act with reverence towards your parents because they're your friend, because you love them, not because you fear any sort of punishment from them. 
So that's the gift of fear that Jesus is inspiring us to when he talks about the final judgment, the coming of the Son of Man. And then what's the hope that he's talking about? What's the hope of the final judgment? Because the words aren't very hopeful. They're kind of scary and intimidating. Well, I think when we look at the world and all of its injustice and all the brokenness and the suffering, uh, whether natural or human cause, they're both confusing in their own right. I think it's easy to wonder if that can ever be worked out. Can justice ever be brought to the things that have been done in this world? I think the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, is one of the most compelling problems that we face as Christians. It's certainly the number one critique of God's existence from those who don't believe. Yet if it's not for the judgment of God, then then where do we stand? If God, who is the only one who can put these things aright, isn't going to bring judgment to the world, then there is no justice. God's the only one capable of bringing justice, and if he can't bring it, then there is no justice in this world. And so the final judgment is full of hope. And that hope doesn't come from, you know, seeing, taking joy in the punishment of evil. You know, God takes no joy in punishing evildoers. Uh, And we ought not to either. But we can take joy in seeing the oppressed who we have not freed be freed by God himself. You know, when we see the poor who we have not cared for being cared for by God himself. Or the hungry who we didn't feed being fed by God. And, and most kind of magnificently, when we see God reveal himself to those who we failed to preach the gospel to, whether that was out of cowardice or sloth, or whether we couldn't make it happen for whatever reason. Those are things that we take joy in, in the final judgment. And that's a great cause for hope. So in the end, I think the figurative end for now, when Jesus tells us of the judgment, he tells us that we might examine ourselves and prepare for that time to not let it come on us unaware. Whether the real thing comes in our lifetime, the crazy second coming of Jesus, or whether we face judgment at the end of our own life. We need to take stock of ourselves to examine ourselves. You know, ask, where am I placing my happiness? Am I stuck in worldly fear? Am I afraid of losing something in this world that I'm grasping onto and my happiness is dependent on? You know, pleasure, riches, power, honor. Are there areas I need to repent? Or have, have I perhaps repented, but I'm, I'm stuck in fear of God's punishment? Because we must be moving toward striving for that friendship. I think our generation wants to level out a lot of the difficult things in the scriptures and and make them, just ignore them or kind of bring out pious platitudes so then we can kind of discard them. But when we do, we miss the kind of great part of our faith. Uh, Cardinal Collins reminds us that Vatican II spoke of the universal call to holiness, not the universal call to mediocrity. As Christians, we're called to holiness, and that's difficult. That is not an easy road. It's a narrow road. 
And it comes with confronting some difficult realities about ourselves, including our own relationship with God. What does that look like? If we don't acknowledge our state, where our fears are, then we can never move forward into real friendship with God. But if we do acknowledge it, and we begin to move forward, we'll find that there's a beautiful friendship with our Creator and Redeemer that awaits us. Amen.